He's a recently retired chief of police in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. Early in his career, he was shot in the line of duty. He survived due to soft body armor vests that he provided. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Calling us from Chicago, Illinois suburbs, we have recently retired... Police Chief Tom Weitzel on the phone. Tom, thanks so much for being guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. You've been on the show before. You're a great guest. You have so many things to talk about. I think the last time we talked, you talked about uh, policing during COVID and a lot of other things that are going on, the anti-police climate. We're going to talk about something different early on in your career. And by the way, how long was your law enforcement career before you retired? So 37 years at the same police department in Riverside, Illinois, and I served 13 of those as chief. Wow. Thank you for your service. That's a long time. It is. Thank you. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, a big thanks to the missus, too, because I know that it was not easy for them and your family as well. That They went through a lot during your career. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, all three of my boys are in, are in police work in the Chicago area, too. So it's been it's been a trip. Well, the funny thing, Tom, is I had one of my daughters talk to me and said, hey, Dad, I want to take the test for the Buffalo Police Department in Buffalo, New York. And I'm like, oh, no, no, here we go. we got to have this conversation. You know what? And she decided not to under her own accord. And I didn't really, you know, the funny thing is, Tom, I didn't want to really sway her opinion either way. Right. I understand. You know, Mike, three sons got into police work before it started to get pretty dicey here where everybody wanted to defund us and hate us but so my kids have been in the job for you know eight to ten years um and they still enjoy it but it's been a challenge right yeah and one of the things i tell people all the time look i loved being a cop Uh, i loved it when i got hurt and retired young and it was over i really didn't know to do myself it took a long time to rebuild my life and it was a big big void but one of the things i tell people all the time if you want to do a career in law enforcement the very first thing i tell people is do not rely on your department you get a doctor for an annual physical you have a dentist you get annual oral exam get yourself a psychologist psychiatrist therapist who's trained in trauma and go once a year on your own don't make the department go don't go through eap go on your own for proactive measures yeah absolutely and we agree more we're talking about in your career early on you're one of those guys you were shot in a line of duty correct yes i was in uh early in my career three years on the job in 1987 actually i was on patrol about 3 a.m in the morning single patrol car in the suburbs of chicago and i was investigating a suspicious car and they got out of the car with a shotgun and shot me directly in the chest with a pump uh, shotgun it was actually bird shot so it spread throughout my entire body when i was shot and you were fortunate enough to be wearing soft body armor 
Yeah, I had a bulletproof vest on, and um, I had purchased that on my own. They, the department did not purchase those back in the 1980s, so I bought that when I got on the job, and thankfully so. When I started in 1980, we were issued soft body armor, bulletproof vests, whatever term people want to use. It was only a front panel because at that time, they didn't believe a lot of police were shot in the back. And it only stopped, uh, I believe, a 9 millimeter and down. It didn't do the, the heavy weapons and uh, the high caliber. It certainly didn't do anything for rifle rounds. And shotguns, I'm going to tell you, bird shot, buck shot, it doesn't matter. That is a no-joke weapon. Yeah, it had... Um... For me, it, uh, most of it was caught in the vest that got some uh, in my eyes because it was birdshot. So I had eye injuries. I had uh, broken ribs and some internal bleeding. But that was pretty minor compared to what could have happened without a vest. Are you able to talk about that night, how it went down? Yeah, I don't. You know, it's, it took me a while. But um, what actually happened, I, I'll summarize this for you. But really what happened is I was on patrol at the three o'clock in the morning. They have an ordinance in the village where I work that you couldn't park after 2 a.m. The car was parked with tinted windows, extremely heavily tinted windows. My spotlights would not penetrate the car. It had no license plates on it, no temporary plates on it. I literally stepped out of my patrol vehicle, walked to about the tip of my bumper of my squad car, and somebody rolled out of the back seat I heard the pump of the pump shotgun. They shot me. Next thing I know, somebody ran from a house, and this is all I'm seeing in my peripheral vision. And they didn't, luckily, that he didn't come and stand over me. I think they thought that they killed me there because he didn't come back and like give another shot, or he didn't come back to see if I was alive or dead. I believe he just thought he killed me. His partner jumped in the car and they fled the scene. And thank God they and fled. Yeah, I was easy, and I was able to get back to my patrol car and call for help on the radio, and then that's the last thing I know. Because what had happened when I was shot is it cut my, my – I have a portable radio, but the buckshot cut the wires that linked the radio to the microphone, so it wasn't working. In the shootings I was involved in, Tom, one of the first things – you know, I don't know how to quite phrase this so – People would understand, but when it occurs, it usually occurs so fast, it's unexpected. It comes out of nowhere. And my first reaction every time was, I can't believe they're shooting or trying to kill me. I, they don't even know me. Right. You know what? They were so unprepared in my municipality at the time that actually the first questions that came from some of the police leadership that you imagine this. When I'm in the hospital, my wife's standing waiting for me in the hospital. They wanted to know why I didn't fire back. And I told my chief at the time and my command people, I said, I, this was an ambush. This wasn't a gun battle. He, they walked and they, they shot me, you know, and then, you know, they, they looked at me like, were you able to return fire? Well, no, they weren't even there when that happened split seconds and they fled. You're probably already on the ground as soon as it, you got impacted in the soft body armor. It, it throws you. Yes, without a doubt. And it knocked me. What happened is it knocked me out. Of, my head hit off the bumper of the squad car, and it actually knocked me out for a little bit. So I wasn't even wasn't even conscious about that. But they had really – they didn't know how to react. They had never had a police officer shot in the line of duty ever. And the response not only to the criminal part – the actual emotional part of assisting me and my wife through that process was extremely difficult and poor.
before we get into that, because that's that's a conversation that that we could do a whole show about. Uh, because one of my biggest pet peeves, Tom, is the news media will say an officer was shot. The good news is the the injuries are not life threatening, and that's all they ever talk about. They never talk about what happens afterwards. They never talk about how the family's impacted or the recovery process. Not just physically. Because the physical is is one thing. The emotional, mental, man, oftentimes that takes so much longer. One of the things you said earlier is when you started the job, your department didn't give you soft body armor. You had to buy your own. That's correct. Uh, no one had body armor unless they purchased them, them on their own back in the early 80s, at least in my department. It changed. It's, it's funny. After I was shot, I, you know, Point blank, second chance, they all were calling the departments to have bulletproof vests purchased in for the department because of the shooting. And that was kind of difficult for me because those companies wanted me at that time. Now, this is the early 80s. They wanted me to do commercials for them. Right. They wanted me to do they wanted me to do advertisements in magazines, and I refused to do that. So part of it, my chief got really upset. He's like, well, you can get all this free body armor if you allow you, you them to use you in these publications. And uh, I refused to do that. But what happened is our village, under enough pressure, they they stepped up and then they funded bulletproof vests for wow. officers up to a certain dollar amount. I'm glad they did. And it reminds me, like I said, when I first started, we just had the, the front panel only. And it was, I forget what level, threat level was, nine millimeter below. We had some officers who spent the money out of their pocket. And it was a lot of money at the time because we didn't make much. We were eating buckets of ramen noodles and uh, mac and cheese and everything else just to survive and uh, right. spending two three hundred dollars on soft body armor was not an easy proposition this is the law enforcement today show we're talking with retired police chief tom weitzel we're gonna take a short break i promise you so much more heading away we'll be right back have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite law enforcement today episode again or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Return our conversation with Tom Weitzel. By the way, we're back in the studio, if you didn't notice before. Tom is a recently retired chief of police of Riverside, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb. 30-some, was it 37 years, Tom? Yeah, 37 years as an officer, 13 as the police chief. Well, and now you're retired and you're lollygagging around the house and knowing the missus, <laughs> aren't you? No, no, I'm trying to stay active still, but it is it is uh, less pressure, I'll tell you that. We have to get you to come on down here to Florida where all the retirees are, and uh, we'll find <laughs> stuff for you to do. Okay. We're talking about early on in your career. 
you were shot. And I thank God you survived. You you talked about you had the foresight, you and your wife or your girlfriend at the time, because I don't know what your situation was, decided to spend the money to buy soft body armor yourself. And for an unknown reason, a suspect shot you with a 12-gauge shotgun and it hit you in a soft body armor primarily. Some other pellets got you in other parts of your body. And you were knocked out when you were hit hit your head on the bumper of the patrol car and luckily you survived because a lot of people a lot of cops when they go down that's it yeah absolutely and it kind of inspired me to when i came back to work you know i didn't come back for a while but we decided i'd come back to work i was newly married i needed a job right that was my skill i would tell you my wife probably didn't want me to go back but i did but i also tried to get legislation passed in the years that followed for federal government, FBI, to come in and assist in in police officer-involved homicides or attempted homicides, because I didn't believe that the local police, whose specialty agencies never had a police shooting, really knew how to handle it. They didn't know how to collect the evidence. They didn't know how to do the the, uh, processing of the evidence and, you know, all the work that needed to go in. And you'd be amazed, Jay, I got huge pushback. I I could call my senators and, and Washington, I'd write letters. I would talk to my state representatives, and why they all told me in my front of my face it was a great idea. Nobody wanted to make it a federal statute where you could get federal assistance mandated for police officer-involved shootings. And to this day, they still don't do that. Yeah, and, and oftentimes people say, especially on social media, particularly on Facebook, when an officer is shot or an officer is involved in shooting, why didn't you bring in the FBI? And it's the first thing to say, and I always say this, Usually to myself, because I don't get into arguments online with people. The FBI does not have jurisdiction. If they're asked, they will come in if there is a civil rights violation aspect of it. Otherwise, if it's a cop who shot and killed, I hate to say it, it's not their bailiwick and it's not their job. Right. And it's not. And I would only be looking for assistance and like, you know, maybe evidence processing or some of the expertise that they would have. But you're right. It's not. You know, it's a, usually a local issue or a state issue, but I even I even lobbied for better funding for these bulletproof vests that we have now, or the body armor. I mean, they're very expensive, Jay, as you probably know. Yeah. I mean, they're upwards of nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars nowadays for officers, and there still are departments that don't fund them. You know, there are there are agencies that require that the officer purchase it themselves. Oh yeah, there there are small agencies in. I don't want to say what state, but in in the middle America, smaller agencies require, many of them require their officers to buy their own uniforms, their own service weapon, and their own soft body armor. And literally, to be fully equipped to go on the street, you could spend thousands and thousands of dollars. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And I, I want to say this. Back when we started, my, if my memory is correct, Tom, I don't remember the vest ever being replaced in 11 years. It may have been. No. I'm getting older, no. but they're saying now it's every five years they should be replaced. Yeah, and you know, and it's forcing municipalities and cities to do that because of liability. But I'll tell you, when our vest expired, you know what our, my agency did? We sent them to rural agencies that didn't have vests. So what does that say? We're sending them vests that were expired now maybe they still work you know maybe that's just the guideline but think about that i mean we're trying to do the right thing but yet they're getting expired vests and by the way this is a suburb of chicago illinois this is one of the most violent parts of america and it's not a recent problem 
in, in Chicago area. This violence in Chicago has been a major issue for at least 30, 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's now it's just totally out of control. And the, and the violence in the city of Chicago is spreading rapidly to the suburbs. And maybe I stand corrected. We should go back to Prohibition days. And because the violence really exploded back then. So it's been since the 1920s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, what's, what's changed recently is how the court systems and the prosecutors deal with it. You know, you take in the, you, you put that in the mix. That's what's really fueled it as of the last five years, I would say, in the metro Chicago area. So how do we get people's attention, Tom? Your story. I'm not saying this is a negative you know, as a patrolman, you don't have, you can squawk all day long. You can know the truth. You can tell people the truth. Most people won't listen. Same with sergeants. Sometimes they'll start listening to lieutenants depending on the agency size. When you're chief of police, sometimes, most of the time, that's where you get some sort of uh, a pulpit where you can get people's attention. Were people receptive to what you had to say? You know, they were outwardly. You're right. The, the, you, as chief, you'll get people to listen to you, but I, I'm... Sometimes they would say things in front of your face, but there was never any action on this. And they would say, you know, good try. Some legislators, Jay, actually told me, you're an idiot. You know, you're crazy. This will never happen. And I even had local officials who said behind my back after I was shot to me and my wife, well, you're not going anywhere. Well, I rose to chief of police. So, you know, that guy that told me I'm not going anywhere, you know. Uh, it took me a while, but I put 37 years in and rose to the highest rank the department has. So I felt pretty good when, in my early in my career, they told me I was going nowhere. You and your wife must have had a real aha moment when you were shot and you had to make the choice. You said earlier in the conversation, she wanted me to do something else. I decided I was going back. How difficult of a discussion and conversation and decision was that for you? It was very difficult because... She wanted me to quit. She wanted me to do something else. But I was at a point, we were only married three years. Uh, I didn't, you know, that was my skill. I wanted to be a policeman my whole life. I didn't have carpentry skills. I wasn't an electrician. I'm like, what am I, I have to provide for a family. I have to provide for you if we have children. I just can't do nothing. So I was at this position where I'm like, I have to go back. I have to face it. Um, and I have to, I don't have these, that's what I wanted to do my whole life. And that's the skills that I have now. And it took a while, but, um, we were able to pull it together. Then we had a family shortly after that. So we started our family. So I think it was difficult at first, but it was the right decision. You also must've decided, look, this is a really, really bad thing that we went through and we're going to put it to bed and we're going to just move forward. And hopefully that will never occur again. Yeah, you know, and and um, I was criticized a little bit, Jay, because after this, for probably the first fifteen years, maybe longer, after the shooting, I never spoke about it. Never. You couldn't find. I, I had people wanting to do interviews. I had people wanting to use me for other, you know, promotional stuff. I didn't even talk to my children. So when my children were born, I, I probably didn't tell them about it until they were close maybe 14, 15 years old. That doesn't so, surprise me. There's a long time I just didn't talk about it. You probably can understand that. I, I certainly can understand. There's things I don't talk about now uh, to this day. You know, my daughters, they, they understand me. They know how I get and the reason why I get the way I get. My wife really understands the most. But, you know, I, I got to the point, Tom, we went to barbecues and people would ask me if I ever shot someone and I was rude. 
I was just flat out say things like, yeah, and then just walk away. Because the last thing I want to do is have a conversation with some somebody over a burger and a beer I've never met, and they're going to ask me a million questions. I'm not doing it. Right. No, I, I, I totally understand, and I did the same thing. I had even would have people, friends of mine, that would be at social events and want to talk about it afterwards, and I, I shied away from that. I just didn't do it. I'm really glad you took the time to tell us about it. Even though you're retired now, you're a busy guy. You're into a lot of things. Where can people find out more information about you online and whatnot? They can follow me on my Twitter account. It's at Chief Weitzel. That's at C-H-I-E-F-W-E-I-T-Z-E-L. I have my own Twitter account, and I put my opinions and thoughts out there, and I follow what's going on in the metro Chicago area and nationwide for law enforcement. And I appreciate it. And do me a big favor. Make sure, and by the way, if you want to contact Tom, just send him a DM on his Twitter. See, I'm I'm a I'm a social media giant. Be sure to tell your wife and your children I said thank you very much and thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. All right, Jay. Thank you so much. You have a great day. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.